are we are recording wait yeah okay always double check you know can't be too, can't be too certain a good rehearsal <laughs> well, that, yeah 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 for real uh dad here we are episode 16 of rolling with the punches and i gave this one a lot of thought because we do not have a full-time 16 in the cup series right now but today my friends is august 20th which is <laughs> the birthday of the dr jerry punch so dad in honor of your birthday i think that this should be episode doc what do you think Oh, I love that, Jesse. Thank you so much. Thank you very, very much. And by the way, my brother, my older brother, Dennis, also has the exact same birthday. He was born, I was born five years to the day. My mom was in the kitchen. Your grandmother was in the kitchen uh, baking a cake uh, for my brother's fifth birthday. And she went into labor and had me. Well, not in the kitchen, but but my brother, my brother Dennis always said he wanted to have a, a bicycle for his fifth birthday and he got a brother. Uh, he's been riding me ever since, but uh, I'll, I'll, anyway, thank you. Yeah, Jeff. I don't. I don't know many five-year-olds that want uh, to have to share their toys for their fifth birthday, yeah, but exactly. it seems to have worked out pretty well. So, happy birthday, Dad! And yes, happy birthday, Uncle Dennis, as yeah. well. So, yeah. I'm excited. We'll make this one a party, Dad. Episode dog. Let's do it. And you Let's know. I really had to think about what I was going to wear for this episode. I, I struggled because I was going to wear my NASCAR Hawaiian shirt that has like race cars and, and flowers all over it. Um, but then because here we are heading into the weekend of the Indianapolis 500, I needed to wear my property of Indy 500 TV crew. And when I say <laughs> my, uh, both of these items, our hand-me-downs out of your closet. So if anybody yeah. ever wondered what my closet looks like, it looks like my, my dad's old closet. So, yeah. Well, you know uh, what? I, I was thinking <laughs> this weekend, I was, we, we actually are going to go, mom and I are going to go uh, after, after doing the Indianapolis 500 for 27 years. Uh, and uh, gosh, enjoyed that so much. Worked with a lot of incredible people, did a lot of races, got to see a, people's dreams come true which it was hard for me not to cry when you see some of these kids that some of these, these people win at Indianapolis and it changes your life forever. It certainly did for me every year going back there. I got chills, but, but I'm, we're going to watch the race this year uh, with some dear friends who are big Indy 500 fans. I was thinking about maybe I just break out the old Indy 500 fire suit and just take it in there and hang it up. Cause how many years, how many years did I put that oh, fire suit on and roam God. around and you were there the last for my last race and, uh, yeah, it was, it was awesome, but special weekend, right? And so I'm glad you're wearing a shirt. Hey, think about that, Jesse. Think about it. Here we are, third week of August, and we're talking about Stanley Cup playoffs, and we're talking about the Indianapolis 500. Who'd have thunk it? Honestly, what a world. What a time <laughs> to be alive, truly. It, uh, it's, it's, I was going to say, it doesn't, it's not May, it's August. It doesn't quite yeah, have the same, yeah. same ring to it. It's um, the month of but, um, August. Of August, August. yeah. <laughs> but hey, you know what? It's going to be a great weekend nonetheless. So, Dad, and like you said, emotions are already high. I mean, we've already seen qualifying for the Indy 500. That was incredibly emotional. We'll talk oh. a little bit about that uh, a little later on. But um, yeah, and then NASCAR World, We've got a humongous weekend oh. at Dover. I mean, I cannot stress how big this weekend is. Um, so we're going to get all into what you can expect this weekend or, or what you can 
not expect this weekend at uh, the Monster Mile. And uh, also, before we get into all of that, um, I am so excited because I had the opportunity to catch up with a buddy of mine, uh, NASCAR Xfinity Series driver Kaz Gralla, who- Awesome. Yes, and you might recognize that name a little more so than before now after this past weekend because he had a seventh place finish in the Cup Series in his Cup Series debut. I mean, holy cow, I could not be more proud as a fan and as a friend. So um, I had the opportunity to catch up with him, and you're going to hear from him a little bit later on. And I'm just excited for you guys to get to know Kaz because he is an awesome kid, and um, he has a very bright future ahead of him. So Looking forward funny, to you guys Jesse, hearing a little bit from him. I can't, I can't wait. And I, you know, and I watched that race, and I was so excited because I know that Kaz is – we'll talk about him a little later on, but Kaz has done so much to give back already, trying to get his career going. But he's been given his, his time to go make personal appearances and do things. But during the NBC telecast, I was – I had to chuckle because Jeff Burton, you know, is the kind of guy – he kept mentioning Kaz, and here's that three-card. There's Kaz Gralla again. And it's almost like his, his colleagues had to look down on the lineup and make sure they knew who it was again <laughs> because they weren't – but he was not going away. This is a kid yeah. making his first start, and instead of going backwards, he was going the other way. And on that last restart, what a job. But anyway, I can't wait to hear from Kaz, and, and we can't wait to talk about him for what a job he did at, at uh, Daytona in his first ever start. First, I want to very, very briefly, Dad, run through what we saw at Daytona because I do need to note, I mean, this was a historic weekend for NASCAR, so want to note those winners. Um, let's start Friday night with the ARCA series. Michael Self got his second win of the season. Funny enough, he got his first win of the season at Daytona in the season opener. So he drives that number 25 Toyota for Venturini Motorsports in the ARCA series. And Michael Self is a great guy. I had the opportunity to chat with him when he won back uh, in Daytona in February and right now he's on top of the point standing so he extended that lead and uh, so he's just a fun one to watch I think he'll be uh, exciting to watch as the season winds down and you know fun facts too about him I was reading, so he had some some issues, some technical issues uh, during practice, and that kept him from getting on the track. Well, so then practice was called early due to lightning, so he had no experience. He didn't run a single lap on the racetrack. Then it rained, wet track, then they were running under the lights. So I think all of those things combined to go out there and get a win, that was pretty impressive on Michael Self's part. So uh notable mention as well in the arca series sam mayer i mentioned him last week as your next favorite driver um unfortunately sam had a bit of an incident uh last week in wisconsin in a sports car race he fractured uh his hand well i've read some conflicting things some people say it's a fingers wrist it's just a hairline fracture but he ran half of the race uh at the road course on Friday and then at the halfway mark got out and Colin Braun, who's a former Rolex 24 winner, got in and finished the race for Sam. So they still finished third, which is actually really great. Yeah. Sam uh, held his own with that broken, broken wrist. So let's look at Saturday's Xfinity series. Or I should just right now call it the Austin Cindric series because I mean he is just rocking and rolling. Fifth win of the season, fifth win in the last six races. I mean, holy cow. But how cool is it, too, that a Penske driver becomes the inaugural road course winner there at Daytona yeah. for the NASCAR Xfinity Series? Uh, and I just thought it was funny, too. You know, he got out and he said, I, I really didn't even feel like I drove my best today. I just feel like I was able to, to capitalize and execute there at the end when it mattered. Um, and we saw he had obvious frustrations during the day, especially with Briscoe. He threw his water bottle at him. So uh, I'd say for a guy that got out of the car and wasn't quite satisfied with his performance, 
pretty dang good day to be Austin Cindric. Pretty good time to be Austin Cindric, if if you will. Again, notable mention in the Xfinity series, though, goes to Justin Allgaier. He was running so well, and then then those last few laps, uh, contact there with AJ Allmendinger, took him away from a top five finish, and um, we saw very, very. Um, visible frustration from Allgaier. I was, I'm trying to think of the word. Unexpected isn't really the right word. Uncharacteristic, maybe. That's what I'll say. Yeah, I just wasn't, exactly. wasn't quite, for such a docile, um, level-headed person, uh, and he didn't do anything wrong. He just voiced his opinions post-race, and you could tell he was really just hot after that race, and um, I feel for him, you know, but I was thinking back to it this time last year, Dad, and we were saying the same thing about Justin Allgaier this time last year. Bad luck. We were concerned about him, and he still went on, finally got a win in Phoenix, and still fought for a championship. So how discouraged and frustrated should Allgaier be? It's understandable, but this was we saw this last year, so I, I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I don't think I've ever heard a race car driver called docile. Uh, but um, <laughs> if, if you are docile, you may get stepped on a lot. But I, I think in Justin Allgaier's uh, situation – I, I, I'm a fan of his. I like, I like his driving style. I like his composure normally. Uh, and I understand his frustration. And I've been on a lot of drivers. I remember uh, being in the garage area at Michigan years ago, and a cup driver who was anything but docile uh, was so frustrated right before the chase was going to start because he didn't think he deserved to be there. And his team couldn't get out of its own way. His name was Tony Stewart. And then the playoffs started. Playoffs, the playoffs started, and he goes out and dominates the playoffs winning half the races and wins a championship and a tiebreaker. So, you know, this, you know, I, I get it. All is too good. That team is too good. Uh, maybe this kind of frustration, he'll, 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 he'll pin all that up and then let it go when the playoffs begin. And, you know, kudos to AJ Allmendinger as well. I thought that he handled the situation very well, very mature. He, he apologized to Allgaier, and then he apologized again in the interview when he did take responsibility for that contact. So uh, unfortunate situation, but, that's racing, and that's road course yeah, racing, way, that's for sure. Speaking of Penske drivers and anger, uh, you know, uh, Austin Sindrick took a page out of the Rusty Wallace handbook. <laughs> Remember when Rusty Wallace got frustrated and threw that water bottle at Dale Earnhardt at Bristol? I was there, by the way, just a few feet away, and the water bottle bounced off the roof and hit Andy Petrie. And, uh, and, and I think uh, Austin Sindrick was a little hot. Uh, he tossed a water bottle uh, at one uh, Chase Briscoe, I think. so. And then he goes on and wins a race. So, uh, you know what? It just goes to show you desire, uh, and I would imagine that, you know, probably Austin got a little discussion from Dad and a few people, but, you know, it's okay. It just shows how much, you, how much it matters to you and how hard you're working and how frustrating it can be. Yeah, and I feel like that discussion went a little better when he brought the trophy into the meeting room with yeah, him. So that probably helped yeah. a little bit, yeah. <laughs> I would think so. All right, and then on Sunday, Truck Series was in action. Sheldon Creed got his second win of the season. We saw him grab that first win earlier this year at Kentucky. I mentioned last week, GMS actively growing and finding success in young talent. Well, I just, I'm very, I continue to be very impressed with GMS. Something that made me laugh during the race though, dad, was uh, at one point Sheldon slowed down. He thought that the race was over and that he'd won it. And the <laughs> announcers were like, oh no, is it, are there issues? Is it fuel? And come to find out, he just needed to be told he needed to finish out his final lap. And I thought that was pretty funny because that's not the first one time that's happened. One <laughs> means one more lap to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I know, uh, I'm sure Sheldon felt silly, but, you know, there's, there's been plenty of big-name drivers that have uh, 
had those issues yeah. before. Yeah, Mark Martin at Bristol. I was calling the Bristol race. Uh, it was a uh, back then. It was the Bush series, and now the Xfinity series. And Ned Jarrett and I were calling the race when Mark Martin looked like he had everybody covered, and he did. And he comes out of turn four on the white flag lap and turns left to head down toward Victory Lane, the Victory Circle. I was in the infield of Bristol, and we're all looking at each other. I'm looking at Ned, and I'm looking back at me. And I, I think the crew was already. I mean, it, uh, the crew was running. I think it was under under caution. It was under caution, and they were going, and and they were already running the victory lane, knowing he's got to make one more lap. And they get down there, and realize he's already there. I'll never forget Mark Martin's interview when the race was over. Who was honest as a day is long. And I love Mark Martin. He's so sincere. He said, he he said that was dumb, wasn't it? He said that was that the dumbest thing. You know, bless his heart. I felt so bad for him, uh, but uh, and and you can't you, you can't help but chuckle a little bit because you know he. And drivers are running 15-second laps on a, you know, half-mile track, standing on your side or on your head. And, you know, someone's got to help the guy. I mean, you know, say, yeah. hey, wait, wait, hey, no, wait, wait, Mark, one more lap, one more lap, dude. Yeah, they were all don't, on their way don't to finish out yet. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, but, yeah, that, that can happen to anybody. So, so Sheldon, hey, you're in that. good company, buddy. That, that happens. Uh, that was dumb, wasn't it? That's the best way to respond <laughs> to that. I love it. All right, and finally on Sunday, Chase Elliott got his second win of the season. Well, including that all-star race, number three. But, uh, Dad, no cautions. Well, except for trouble for yeah. the 18. But I think we went into this thinking it was going to be just a, a, a mess of wrecks. But, you know, um, I'm glad it wasn't. It was still a great race. And, uh, again, though, like I said, we did see one caution there towards the end. And, unfortunately, that was another issue for the 18 team and he was running so well and i really yeah. truly thought this was going to be the week for him and i mean like clockwork dad that that bad luck just just yeah. sets in well i think he had a i think he had a break issues there in the rear and they came in and fixed it and did a great job they only lost like five or six laps and got him back out uh and then then the other one went away so um you know he just exploded nothing he did wrong other than the fact the brakes just didn't hold up uh and because he, he was truly uh, you know driving aggressively i mean you don't hear that very often with kyle bush right driving aggressively <laughs> but uh and i hate it for him and his team but uh yeah you, you think about we always thought that we thought this race was going to be a, a slug fest going to be a, a, a caution flag fest and i think you know, give these drivers credit you're talking about the best stock car drivers in the world and i was told that kevin harvick some of the guys all got these guys together and said hey let's show some common sense they said let's not look like a bunch of idiots out there um you know, let's let's be smart. Let's not run over each other uh, coming into turn one on the first lap, and let's not create this big mess and we let wreck half the cars. And let's let's be smart about this. And they did. And I think they it was great driving. It wasn't lack of aggression. They they were diving in there on the on the final restarts, two and three wide. Bubba Wallace was in there underneath two of the lines of cars, three wide. You know, good for Bubba. Everyone's trying to get spots, uh, but they did it smartly and they were aggressive. I thought it was a. I thought the whole race. Uh, entertaining lots of lots of good passing back in the pack um you know i was a little disappointed quite honestly i think nbc sat on the lead to some which wasn't going to change uh very much for those last three or four laps and i could see on the leaderboard on the screen all this passing was going on fifth sixth seventh eighth ninth but they're not showing any of it and i know i've been the tv guy when people i get all i get on the plane or go home and people are people are on the radio or they're they're texting why didn't they show that it was a historic race i get it first road course race for stock sure. park of daytona but man you can two box it 
you know, and show this show this passing back in the pack and and the great run that uh, Kaz Growla made. I mean, holy cow, he's you know all these guys are overdriving cars and they pitted, they got fresh tires and they're running over each other. He isn't hasn't pitted. He doesn't have fresh tires. He's in his first ever start, and here he is passing people, veteran drivers uh, who have lots of experience, and he's he's really being smart, being patient, and showing the talent. Uh, and I, I love it when that happens. But we didn't get to see that. Yeah, and it was it was tough too because some of those names, like you're saying, that were were passing and in fighting for a position back there, were names like. Jimmy Johnson and, and Kaz Gralla, like you said, and even Chris Busher was up there at one point, and it was really Michael just McDowell exciting. I mean, Michael I McDowell. Yeah. Exactly. And so it really was just uh, – it would have been nice and, and exciting to be able to watch that because, like we've established, I mean, I mean Chase just – truly ran away with the lead at the end there. Um, it was an impressive run at that by Chase. Yeah, so um, Congratulations. It really was – it really was a good race, and I like what you said too. It it, it wasn't um, for lack of aggression by any means that we didn't see the the number of yellows that one might have predicted, but it was still great racing. So uh, I think it was an awesome first first weekend on the road course. And I want to go back to what you said about about Kaz and being you know this this young driver. So Kaz is 21 years old, for those of you that aren't familiar with him. He's 21. He's from Boston, Massachusetts. He runs part-time in that 21 Chevy for Richard Childress Racing. I mentioned this earlier. And this is a kid that grew up racing. He grew up racing go-karts. He grew up a NASCAR fan. And you'll hear more in the interview. He is really, truly someone that was standing on that grid looking around going, these are my heroes. I mean, these are the people that I learned from and that I grew up watching and that made me want to be here. And I just think that's so cool because it's not every day that you get to hear from drivers and get to hear them be yeah. so genuine with you that they can say, I was truly in awe of where I was in my life and in my career. And um, this whole circumstance came about probably less than 48 hours before Sunday's race. So really take all that into account when you think about what this 21-year-old kid did on Sunday. I mean, it's amazing. So with that, I'll let you hear a little bit more about Kaz Gralla. All right, Kaz, you ready to go? Hopefully, if my phone doesn't fall again, let's try it. <laughs> That's all right. That's just the beauty of doing um, any kind of television at home. We're all we're all going through the same thing right now. <laughs> well, buddy, I'm excited to see you, Kaz. It's been uh, it's been a while. I feel like I'm used to seeing you, you know, every few weeks, whether it's in the studio or at the racetrack. And now we've gone a couple months without even talking. How have you been? How's life? I know it feels like forever. I think maybe Daytona, the first Daytona, might have been the the last time uh, I saw you. But uh, things have been good. It's been. Well, it was slow for a while, but obviously things have picked back up. Luckily, my season <laughs> got underway finally at the end of July. Uh, made my first my first start of the year. So uh, since then, it's it's definitely been it's been busy. I've I've raced uh, three out of the last four weekends. So that's always a good thing, and uh, it's been it's been good to get out of the house finally. Well, yeah, and I'm sure that after this past weekend, that run has kept you uh, pretty busy this week. I know that from talking to uh, your PR rep, Josh, you guys have been uh, crazy busy. And that's been so exciting because let's just jump right in and talk about it. We, we as fans found out 
Saturday morning, less than 48 hours before the race, that you would be making your cup debut, filling in for Austin Dillon, who was diagnosed with coronavirus. So we found out Saturday morning. Kaz, when did you find out that you were going to be hopping in the car on Sunday? Well, I only found out about an hour before you all did. Um, <laughs> it, it came together very quickly. So that, that was certainly something I was not expecting going into the weekend so yes the last the last week for me has come out of nowhere and been been a lot busier than anticipated but um you know it was it was so unfortunate to see austin test positive for covid19 i know everybody was was disappointed in that and uh that's something you always you you hate to see and uh luckily his symptoms uh, were mild so um he had that going for him but unfortunately was not able to compete this past weekend but it did give me a shot to, to get in the car, and that was certainly a, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity and, and one I'll be thankful thankful for forever for Austin and Richard for, for putting me in the car. Well, take me through that moment. When, when Richard Childress comes to you and says, Kaz, it's your time. Suit up. You're making your debut on Sunday. And, and not only that, but in the number three car at Daytona. What was going through your mind? Describe that moment to me. I mean, it's hard to describe because honestly, from that phone call on for the next, you know, 36 hours, it was pretty much all just a blur. Very, very busy. Um, there was a lot to do and, and almost no time to do it to get ready. I mean, uh, it was Austin's seat in the car and, and everything in the car was set up for Austin and we didn't have anything at the track or the ability to change that stuff. So we just had to tweak what was already in there. Um, so, so gosh, between trying to interior of the car fitted for me and get all my paperwork signed. I mean, I had an Xfinity NASCAR license, so I had to have that upgraded uh, last second. So, I mean, just all the little things you wouldn't even think of that added up that took the entire day on Saturday to have come together so that on Sunday everything would, uh, would, would run smoothly. So um, it was a lot on my plate and a lot of, a lot of pressure and I mean, I know, I know they didn't put pressure on me or have any, any sort of expectation. Really, in that situation, it's, it's hard to have expectations at all for performance. But uh, me personally, I figured, well, I don't know if I'll ever get a shot to drive on Sunday again. I don't know. I, I got to at least make the most of what I do have. And right now, all I know is I'm going to drive the three car today. So I got to put my best foot forward and uh, I worked really hard with Justin Alexander and everybody on the team to try to get ready and learn how to drive these cars. I talked to Austin on the phone for a while, um, just tried to, to find out before going into the, the race, what to expect, what's going to be different because there's no practice. There's no qualifying. The first time I was ever going to feel a cup car was heading down into turn one at Daytona, which nobody had gone into yet before uh, with 36 guys in front of me. So uh, I was trying to be as prepared as I possibly could be in that short of notice. Hey, well, if there's ever a time to, to jump into the cup field with very little experience at a racetrack, might as well jump in when everybody else has very little experience at that racetrack too, you know? No, but Kaz, for, for a guy that says, you know, they had no expectation for him going into the weekend, I'd have to say you, you met or at least blew whatever expectation may have been there out of the water with a top 10 finish. And, you know, let's, let's just talk about your, your history at Daytona because Daytona is, is a special track for you, for people that don't realize that. You have a win there back in 2017 in the truck series. So now getting an opportunity then as someone who obviously excels as a road course racer 
to go in and, and put that stamp on your career that you now have a top 10 finish on the road course in the Cup Series. What does that just mean to you overall as a driver? Well, it, it, it means the world. And, and up until this point, I would say that first win at Daytona in 2017 was the most special career moment I'd had to date. But um, I know I know seventh doesn't sound as exciting as first, but <laughs> to me personally, uh, th this was probably a more meaningful race and meaningful performance. And um, I, I think it, it definitely showcased what I can do in a race car better than than even that win did. So um, that it was a big weekend for me on on a lot of uh, personal notes as well. I mean, I, I drove the three car uh, growing up since I was nine years old and Bandoleros, legend cars, late models all the way up to the, the NASCAR k Pro Series. So never in a million years would I have thought that my first cup start would be in the number three car, but that certainly was really, really special to me. Um, and, and as you touched on, it was, it was the perfect storm for a time to make my cup debut. It, it was a track that none of the other drivers had competed on before. So you were able to really show ability over experience because you go to a normal racetrack in the cup series and all those really, really good superstars you run up front. Well, they've raced there for the past 15 years, maybe twice a year. Right. They might have 30 races at that track in a cup car, possibly even with the same crew chief all that time. And you're trying to go in, not knowing what to expect at all at least this kind of leveled the field and said all right none of us know what to expect so we can all go out there figure it out together and may the best man win or finish seventh either way but uh <laughs> it was uh it was definitely a, a good time for for me to make it in a crazy circumstance that led to it um but you know sometimes out of out of a negative situation like that um some positives can come out of it well, and I think you mentioned you call it a, a crazy situation yourself. And as we already established, you didn't even know less than 48 hours before the race that you would be racing in that in that competition. But Kaz, for as long as I've known you, the couple of years that I've worked with you, the one of the biggest things that I've always been so impressed by you and, and really admired in you is your preparation. And for someone who uh, has experience running full seasons full time and also experience running part time, you are always prepared. And, and I love that about you because as someone who loves you know, to talk NASCAR, you're somebody that no matter whether you're racing or not that week, you can sit down and chat with me about every element of what the drivers are getting prepared to do, the challenges for the teams, and, and the challenges that the tracks bring. So I say all of that because when I heard on Saturday that you would be thrown into the number three car, I, I was just thinking, you know, he's so prepared. He has to be. And would you say that rang true given your lifestyle of, of living in the simulator and constantly just being that team player? And wanting to grow and learn did you feel as prepared as possible I felt pre as prepared as possible given the situation I mean I feel like if, sure. if I had known a few weeks earlier that I'd be racing in a cup car there's there's more things that I could have and would have done to prepare but um, given the fact that I didn't know I think I had as, as much preparation as possible I had worked with uh, Earl Bamber who drove the the 21 car for RCR and Xfinity that weekend. I worked with him on the simulator all week um, because he'd never been in a stock car before. So I helped answer any questions and kind of tell him what to expect. So I got a chance to run the simulator a little bit. Now that was in the Xfinity car, uh, not in the cup car. So I didn't get any laps in the cup car. I didn't know exactly what to expect there, but at least I, I had 
seen the track in a stock car in that Xfinity car on the simulator. So I had an idea. Um, and then uh, it was on Thursday that I found out um, from Andy Petrie at RCR that I would be the backup driver just in case anything happened uh, that weekend. Um, so as soon as I got word of that, I started drinking Pedialyte and hydrating <laughs> for the weekend, just on the bizarre off chance that I would actually get to drive. The last thing you want to do is get tapped to drive and be dehydrated and have no chance of, of staying in the seat the whole race. Um, so that was another, another plus that I'm certain glad I did because now the way everything unfolded, I, I might've been in trouble if I, if I hadn't been uh, prepared hydration wise. So um, yeah, I mean, all, all the little things I tried to go into the weekend is prepared for anything as possible. And lo and behold, anything happened. And, uh, and so I, I was in the best position I possibly could have been um, given the, the circumstances. Yeah, I, ha I have to believe that you were uh, way more prepared than, than many drivers would have been, considering, like you said, you, you weren't even planning on racing the Xfinity race that weekend, but, but you were uh, on it and ready to go just in case. And, and you mentioned uh, drinking Pedialyte and getting your body ready. Did you, did you by chance come in for a pit stop and ask Justin Alexander for, for Pedialyte or for a, for a juice box or anything by chance during that race? <laughs> will you juice please box. tell that story? Because that is one juice of my box. favorite Kaz Garalo stories, if not my favorite. <laughs> uh yeah well i've come a, i've come a long way from from that race my very first race in a go-kart ever um i was leading the race with like two laps to go i think and came down pit road found my dad and stopped right in front of him and asked for a juice box and a snack and he he couldn't believe that i just lost the race by pulling off and i'm like well i didn't know i was in the lead i don't even know what i'm doing out there i was only four years old so i didn't even know what racing really meant um, you just knew you were thirsty. Weekend, <laughs> I was thirsty and I was thirsty this weekend, but I knew, I knew I needed to stay on the track. Um, but yeah, it, I've heard a lot of the cup drivers talking about it this week. It was so hot this past weekend inside those race cars. Um, and, and actually there was a point in the race that I was sitting there and I was like, Oh my gosh, we're only halfway in this thing. And I'm like <laughs> already dead. And how lucky we all got that the lightning struck. We got a 30-minute breather because talking to some of the other guys and, and certainly Tyler Reddick as well, my teammate, we both said, like, man, I don't know if – I don't think we would have lasted through the rest of that race if we didn't get that, that 30 minutes to, to kind of decompress and cool down. So um, that, I, And that's something that NASCAR has taken a look at, and it sounds like they've made an adjustment to the rules. We had a right side window on the car, so the car the cockpit was pretty much sealed up air wise, and it's hard to get any sort of cool air flowing when when that's the case. And now they've made the decision to take that right side window out for the short tracks and the road courses, which is good. But yeah, I was wondering during that race because I'd never done a cup race, of course. So I was like, well, is it always this long and hot and miserable? <laughs> I'm like, gosh, this is not really anything to look forward to. I'm dying in here. Um, but but listening to everybody after the race, I was like, okay, so that was an exceptionally hot race. It wasn't just me. We were all feeling that way. Um, it, it, it was certainly a tough one. But, yeah, getting that 30-minute that break to be able to hop back in the car, I felt fresh after that. And, of course, stage three is always going to be the longest, the most intense part of the race where it's the most important you you execute and make no mistakes it was great to be refreshed going into that and I, I felt like when the when the green flag flew after that break I was ready to attack and and we drove forward from there 
It's funny that you say that, you know, getting out of the car because it's, you're like the new, you know, the young guy, you know, you don't want to be the first one to mention, is it, it's really hot, isn't it guys? But you're hoping that everybody else is on the same page too. And, and clearly they were because it was, uh, it was incredibly hot uh, in Daytona and we heard from a lot of drivers and we saw, uh, like you said, changes being made this weekend to help out there. So um, I want to talk to you though about that interaction in general with the other drivers and, and you, like I said, being the younger new guy there. You know, it's not, uh, first of all, it's not often that people even get an opportunity to meet their heroes or their, their childhood idols, much less compete against their childhood heroes. And here you are, I've heard you mention numerous times that Jimmy Johnson is one that you have looked up to uh, during your career, and now you're competing against him. How do you describe what that feels like to know that you're competing against someone like Jimmy Johnson? Well, it, it was the coolest thing in the world for me. And uh, in my, my whole life so far, I've, I've looked up to him and hoped to someday get to race him. And I was so disappointed at the, begin at the beginning of this year when he announced it would be his retirement year because I knew I had five Xfinity races on the schedule. I figured he wasn't going to be in any of those. And I <laughs> figured I wasn't going to be in any of the cup races. So I, I thought my window had closed and that I'd never get to be on the track at the same time as him. And um, that was one of the first things actually that I thought of when, when I got the call for this weekend, um, just thinking it would be such a cool moment to be on the racetrack at the same time as him. And, uh, Austin actually had finished so well in the three car in Michigan that we were supposed to, uh, he, he was supposed to start 10th if, if all had gone to plan in the race and Jimmy was supposed to start 11th. So under the pace laps, I got to drive around and see the 48 <laughs> car in my mirror and that. That was a cool moment for me, and uh, I'll be honest, my expectations going into the race were realistic. I thought riding around in 10th on the pace laps would be the furthest up I'd at all in the race. I figured once we yes. dropped to the tail and took the green, <laughs> I was like, well, I'll probably never see that 48 car again, but it was a cool moment while it lasted, um, but at the end of the race, it was, it was pretty special. Of course, he still beat me. He was up there, I think, in fourth, and I finished seventh, but on the last lap, I could see him ahead. I was close enough to be able to see him, and uh, that was that was really cool to cap off the, the day. I would just love for you to be able to tell little go-kart racing Kaz that one day he's going to have the opportunity to ride in front of Jimmy Johnson in the pace laps and compete against him at Daytona of all places. I just think, talk about a career defining moment for you. I mean, I, I also, I, I love when I look at your career because you're somebody that understands what it's like to work to get to where you are. And, and I know you personally, so I know uh, how hard you work when it comes to things like gaining sponsorship and keeping sponsorship. And um, do you just have any advice to any drivers out there that are working their tails off right now, whether it's just to get a ride or a sponsor or an opportunity? Um, do you have any advice for them? Well, the, the best advice I could give probably in, in, in kind of the way I've, I've lived the, the last couple of years is, nobody's ever going to have the, the love and the care for your own career as much as you will yourself. And, and I think a lot of young guys uh, who are trying to make it, maybe who are in ARCA or late models and they really want to make it up to the national series. Um, it's, it's very easy to get sold by somebody else and say, Oh, well, I'll find you sponsorship. I'll be your agent. Um, and to me at the end of the day, the best job that's going to possibly be done in finding sponsorship 
is going to be by you yourself. And you're always going to get the most responses from company from companies when the message is really coming from you, you wrote it. It's in your words coming directly from you. Um, that's, that's when you're going to be the most likely to meet somebody from a company and connect with them and, and have them really get behind you. So um, it's a lot of work and, and frankly, it's tedious work uh, doing the sponsorship stuff. All of us drivers want to just get behind the wheel and drive the race car and call it a day. That's what we do. That's what we love. But sometimes there's there's things that need to be done beforehand so that you can get in that race car. And and so that's what I do Monday through Thursday every week is write these emails and make these phone calls to to try to help myself get in more race cars. So um, I'm, I'm glad I was able to capitalize on this opportunity the past weekend. Um, hopefully that will help me with my emails and my calls and maybe lead to uh, possibly being behind the wheel more times. Uh, in the future for my career, which is something that, that I would love and, and have worked my whole career for. So um, you, you really have to take your, your career by the horns yourself and, and put all that, that passion and care into it because you'll do the best job out of anybody who can. Yeah, and I think that's wonderful advice, especially considering coming from you. I mean, you you are someone who knows what it's like to not only send off those emails, but to walk through that door and sit down in front of them and, and tell them what you can do for them. And I think that um, is admirable for you as a young driver. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, what this past weekend, what doors this past weekend opens for you. And Kaz, uh, looking at the rest of the 2020 season, you are running right now part-time in that 21 Chevy for RCR in the Xfinity series. What are your plans for the rest of the season? Do you know how all that's going to play out? Yeah, I'll, I'll be behind the wheel of the 21 a few more times this year, um, starting with the double header at Richmond. I believe I'll be doing both races there, and that's three or four weeks out from now. So um, I'm excited about that. And then, then we go to the Roval in, in the Xfinity car. And um, so, so both of those events are, are ones that I think we can realistically go to and try to win them put the put the car in victory lane and um more performances like that will will always help me in uh in trying to land myself inside a race car full time going forward so uh andy street the crew chief on the xfinity side and i are, are working hard and working together and trying to make that happen go get some wins this year um and that'd be a great way to to close off my my short but sweet season uh, this year and hopefully make a, make a longer one next year. Short but might be the sweetest season so far, given what you've uh, mentioned this past weekend. So Kaz, I am just so excited for you. As always, I'm so proud of you. I'm thankful to have somebody like you as a friend that um, you've always been there for me to help me out when I just need someone to chat with or do an interview or, you know, talk about, like I said, upcoming races. So uh, it's great to watch you and I'm looking forward to seeing what you do uh, the rest of the season and also just the rest of your career because you have an incredibly bright future ahead of you. Thanks, Jesse, and thanks for having me on. It's been a while. Let's make it more regular. I would love that. We'll, uh, we'll chat again soon for sure. Dad, you can tell that was that was fun for me to catch up with him because as as we said, it had been a while. And Kaz is someone that I have been fortunate enough to work with for my entire time I've been at NASCAR. And um, back when he was, you know, just starting in in the Xfinity series, and it's crazy. You know, we did a feature a couple seasons ago where we took him around Uptown Charlotte, and 
we had him ask people if they knew what a Kazgarala was. And we got the best answers. We had him walk around and interview people. They said, a cat? You know, is it a, a type of uh, a mystical creature? And I just think it's so fun now, Dad, to look just less than two years later and the whole NASCAR world knows who Kaz Gorilla is because of the performance yeah. that he put on this weekend. And I love that for him. Yeah, isn't it so cool? And, and folks, I don't know um, if you know, but, you know, it's pretty unusual. A lot of things had to happen for him to get that phone call to get in the car because NASCAR had made a rule that since no one was going to be able to practice or qualify and there was no testing down there, that you couldn't have a driver's run run all three series. You couldn't have people go in and run more than one series. So if you were a cup driver, you couldn't go run the Xfinity and uh, the Xfinity guys couldn't run Cup. So no one would have an advantage by having laps on that road course, on the 3.61-mile road course. So uh, RCR has to think, well, you know, we've got a couple of young drivers in the hopper here that, that, that run part-time. So And Kaz Grala had finished fourth at the Road America, which is a really tough course. You know, a lot of elevation change, a lot of turns. So that's a very demanding course. So he finished fourth up there for RCR. And he said, well, why not, you know, get this kid. You know, remember the story – about Wally Pipp, uh, who was a first baseman for the New York Yankees and had a headache one day and, uh, and says, I'm not going to play today. And they put this young, quiet kid named Lou Gehrig in to play. 14 years later, Lou Gehrig is still playing first base. And obviously, you know what happened ultimately in his disease. But the yeah. fact is, you never, you know, those, when things like that happen, take advantage of the opportunities. And I just think I'm so thrilled for, for Kaz Growla um, that, that not only did he get a chance and it had to jump through all the hoops, go get a NASCAR license to run the cup series, uh, you know, figure out what kind of seat he's going to be in. Uh, but uh, he's impressed so many people uh, with doing that. And now you never know what's going to happen. I heard, I heard the vice president of RCR, Andy Petrie say uh, yesterday uh, on XM radio that uh, they are so impressed with Kaz and they would love to be able to, see what they can do down the road. You just can't snap your fingers and find sponsorship and find a, pl a car for him. But obviously, you know, you know, you got something special. So, uh, and they would like to be able to, to, you know, to help this young man and get him, help him make the next, next few moves. So good for Cass. I mean, good for, you know, and the other thing is I want to say about, I love the fact when young people like him who work hard to make things happen, you know, he volunteered to show up at the Food City Family Race Night in Bristol, Tennessee. A lot of That's these younger right. drivers would say, I'm not going to go there. They don't realize that back in the day, Richard Petty was there, uh, and Ned Jarrett was there, and Dale Jarrett, and Kyle Petty, and, 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 and Rusty Wallace, and Dale Earnhardt. All those guys would show up, Al Kowicki, on and on and on. And now some of these young drivers feel like they don't have time to go there. Uh, because, you know, and I, I don't know if it's because they're not getting paid, but they're really paying back the fans and, and the sponsorship, uh, one of the longest continuous sponsorships in NASCAR is the folks from Food City. So, but Cass was there. He was there on the mm -hmm. stage and, and interviewed and talked to people, and a lot of guys had never even heard of him. I had to go look him up, you know, and find out who is this kid. But when you, <laughs> once, you, once you talk to him, uh, the fans were engaged, and I, now people know his name. Um, and I think that's, that's pretty cool. You, see, you love seeing that no good deed ever goes unrewarded. Sorry, I think you can hear my dog barking at the maintenance man in the background, if you hear that. But yeah, Dad, and I want to even further your story about Kaz showing up at, at these Food City family race nights and say this. Kaz showed up at those, uh, like you said, as a favor. And from there, he continued to keep in touch with the people at Food City. And at the time, his sponsor was 
a company called Hot Scream. It was an ice cream company. And Kaz, having worked those couple times with the people at Food City, pursued that relationship and on behalf of Hot Scream and ultimately got that sponsor, that ice cream company, into Food City stores. And I just think that is so incredible that here is a, a 21 year old, 20 at the time, NASCAR driver sitting down in front of, of executives and with Food City and with his sponsor and, and expanding to the sponsorship. That's a kid that you want to take advice from when it comes to really truly being what sponsors look for. This, these kind of kids give so much, you know, unselfishly for not a dime and they can certainly use the money, but not a dime show up on their own penny. Uh, and they want to help them. And they want to help him. And that's great. And, and this is the kind of thing you see happen. And nobody helped him. He was, you know, in the car. He was the only one in there. And, um, you know, he, he, he drove it and impressed a lot of people. And now maybe he's going to get some recognition and maybe get a shot to get, get in a full-time ride. Wouldn't that be cool? That would be awesome. I'm like I told Kaz, I'm really looking forward to see uh, what these next few seasons have in store for him with RCR. And like I said, you guys, please follow along with Kaz. Um, you can follow him on Twitter and on Instagram at Kaz Gralla, and that's K-A-Z Kaz Gralla, G-R-A-L-A. So keep up with Kaz. He's a good buddy. He's a good guy to know, and he's a fun one to watch. So, Dad, with that. Let, I keep I keep making May references in my head and then having to switch them to August. So it's August. Um, let's talk indie. Let's talk a little bit of indie. We we already mentioned at the beginning of the show that it's the emotions are already there before we've even headed right. into right. the weekend of competition. Last week we saw Marco Andretti qualify on the pole first. Andretti to earn the pole position in thirty three years so wow. 1987 and i think everybody watching was was emotional yeah i you know his his grandfather mario andretti won three poles at indianapolis motor speedway and uh marco was two months and two years old uh when he when his grandfather sat on the pole in 1987 marco's you know is just just an infant uh and suddenly now 33 years later, he is the pole, pole winner in Indianapolis. Um, the Andretti name, the Andretti legacy goes so far back to Indy. Not just uh, Mario and Michael, but uh, the late John Andretti. And John, uh, his cousin John was just, or Uncle John, uh, was just um, such a wonderful human being. I got to believe John was smiling down from above when he saw uh, Marco win that pole. And I remember doing interviews with John when he ran the doubleheader, when he ran the Indy 500 and, and, and ran in the top five all afternoon and finished in the top 10, driving for A.J. Foyt, uh, and, then, and then gets on a plane and flies to run the World 600 at Charlotte that night. So uh, I, I just think it's, it's just so special um, that Marco – and, and I, I, we said last week, I love the fact that the other drivers, even the Penske guys, the Chevy guys, they were pumping their fists because they realized how, how long and how hard Marco has worked and Team Andretti, they want to beat him on race day, and, they, and they'll, it'll be, a, it'll be a, a, a heck of a tussle on Sunday. But I, I, I just think I love how, how, how encouraged they were and excited they were for Marco Andretti because they realized that the Andretti name resonates around the world, uh, not only for Marco winning the pole, but everyone's going to, hey, wait a minute, there's an Andretti on the pole in Indianapolis because that gets a lot of exposure for the, for the series. But now they got to find out a way to outrun a car that can run 231-plus you know, in qualifying trim. Now, they won't run that fast on race day, but uh, those Chevys, 
Uh, well, there's eight former Indy 500 winners in the field. A lot of them are starting toward the back of the field. And by the way, Elio Castroneves is back in the race, and he's going to be trying to win, join that elite group of people who have won it four times uh, with Al Unser and A.J. Foyt and, and Rick Mears. So um, great race, 104th running of the Indianapolis 500. Uh, some of the greatest memories I've ever had are being at that racetrack. Uh, and kudos to Roger Penske and his staff um, making the tough call uh, to not have fans there. They didn't want to put anyone at risk. Uh, it's a huge financial uh, risk for them. Uh, I'm sure they're bleeding money, but they've got to run the Indy 500 because that's what the teams depend on for their sponsorship. A lot of these guys, uh, that's, what, that's what funds their year. So Roger says, okay, it's not about me. It's about the series, about these teams. So we're running it. And Roger had already put like $15 million and improvements of the racetrack uh, mm-hmm. that the fans don't get to see, but they'll get, they'll get to see hopefully uh, next year, uh, the things he's already done. Did you see the uh, letter that he wrote to fans oh. and posted this morning? Oh, my gosh. It was, first of all, so well-written. I mean, I love the at the very end of it. If, if you haven't read it, go check it out. It's on Twitter. Um, at the very end, he talks about how he – his dad took him to the speedway yeah. when he was a kid when he was 14 and he got the opportunity to watch the races and, and to even sit in a car and put on a helmet. And he says that experience still sits with him today. And that is why one, the speedway means so much to him. And two, the fan experience is his top priority. And I just think it's like you said, dad, you know, it's better safe than sorry circumstance this year, but yeah. Fans, you just have to know that you are in the best hands when it comes to that speedway. And next year is just going to make up for for not being able to be there this year. I know it. Yeah, every year, uh, the last three years, I was able to, uh, up in the last year, I was able to, that I was asked by Roger Penske about the Penske group to emcee their their big press conference. They would do with all their drivers and Roger and Tim Sendrick, and uh, they would do it uh, during the week, the day before Carb Day. And I remember asking Roger, uh, last year uh, about why Indy, why your love, why, what's your love for this place and this race? Where did it all start? Where did it come from? And Roger got very quiet and very reflective. And there wasn't a, there wasn't a peep in that room in the media center. Uh, and his drivers are sitting there listening when he told that story about his dad bringing him there. Uh, and, and back then, uh, a lot of these teams only had one car and it was a the car they were going to race in, but they'd pull the cars out and set them out in front of the garages. And fa- on fan day, fans could walk by, and sit in the car. You could actually wow. sit in the car that's going to race. And so that's Roger's crazy. dad put him in a car and put a helmet on him. And Roger said, from that moment on, on, I was in love with this place and this race and this whole thing. He said, my dad, my dad did that for me. And I fell in love with this place. And it's a love affair. It's continued for decades. So good for Roger Penske. He now owns a track and, and uh, he's owned the track in terms of victory lane for a long yeah. time, but now he <laughs> physically owns a track and the series IndyCar racing. And wow. Open wall racing couldn't be in better hands, as you said, Jesse. And I'm excited. Um, I hope the weather's good for them. I hope it's a phenomenal race. I I miss not being there. Um, I I miss uh, the emotion of pre-race. The hour pre-race is is about as reverent and solemn uh, and gut-wrenching. I, I mean, I literally got chills every year when you stand there and watch these drivers walk out to climb in a car. And you suddenly, you see they're, they're not looking at you. They're not looking at the car. Their eyes are, they're a million miles away. They're in the zone thinking about what they have to do. Uh, and then you hear uh, back home again in Indiana when they play taps. It's a tremendous, tremendous tribute to 
uh, it's always on Memorial Day weekend. So the sacrifices the people made for our freedom and then the, uh, and then God bless America and then the national anthem. Oh, just, Oh my gosh. Um, uh, such, such an emotional, and I can't wait. A pre-race show is phenomenal. It's like, we're exhausted. We're emotionally drained <laughs> and they haven't run the first lap yet. And then we got to do the race. So, uh, I stood in uh, the Andretti pits, I guess it was uh, when Marco was a rookie and when he almost won the race. Uh, I'm standing beside Mario and, and, and Marco comes out of turn four and somehow Sam Hornish is able to make the quick pass and beat him by thousands of a second. Hornish takes the win uh, and, and Marco finishes second. And now this, we're like, you know, 13, 14 years later, uh, the kids on the pole. So you realize you, 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 the chances don't come that often, but you got to take advantage of them. So maybe, maybe it'll be his day. Maybe this might, it just might happen. Maybe it will. It's going to be, it's going to be a great, great weekend. And like you said, I mean, I, I had the opportunity to go with you a couple, couple years ago and I get chills even just thinking about that pre-race ceremony. I can't imagine having to do a broadcast afterwards. So yeah. yeah. Well, Hey dad, and you mentioned Penske kind of owning it. We've seen Penske cars in the winner's circle for the past two years. Are we going to, are we yep. going to see, are we going to see it again this year? Or like you said, don't count out those Chevys. I don't know. Uh, you know what? I don't know. I mean, I, 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 gosh, there's so many great stories, so many sentimental stories. I mean, uh, I, I can't, there's no one driver that I can say I'd like to see win. I mean, Graham Rahal, wouldn't it be great to see Graham following the footsteps of his dad, you know, Bobby Rahal, great team, great individuals, love them both. Um, I'd love to see AJ Foyt's cars go back to victory lane, you know, only because I love AJ and I love that. I love yeah. what he's, what he's meant to open more racing and Tony Kanaan maybe they say it may be his last year. You know, like Jimmy Johnson in the Cup Series, you know, could Tony win it again? I mean, and he's such a fan favorite. I'm hoping Tony will change his mind. Words are that he might might change his mind and come back. I'm going to ask you about Jimmy in a minute. Uh, and then, you know, what what about, you know, um, Elio Castro Nevis? Could he win it? Could he become a four-time winner? Gosh, Spider-Man climbing the fence? You know, oh. but it, there's, no, there's no fans there, but if they were, they'd tear the fences down if that happened. Um, and, you know, I just – and then Marco – my goodness, um, you know, could we see imagine. that? How about Ed Carpenter? How about the, his family? His family ran the place. They owned the place. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, he's the godson of you know of, uh, of Tony George. So you think you think uh, are the stepson of Tony George, I should say. So I mean, just think think of 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 what it would mean to Ed Carpenter and that team. It's a Chevy team. It's an All American team based right there in Indianapolis, right down the street. It there's so many fabulous stories. Um, and I just hope it's a good, safe race. race. Um, and, and, and by the way, uh, I, I do want to mention, you can't leave out Chip Ganassi's team um, and, and all that Chip's done over the years. And, and I mean, they're, they just got such, they're just so, so classy in so many ways um, that, you know, it, it's, it'd be hard, be hard not, you know, not, not to be happy to see one of those guys go to victory lane. So, um, you know, just, just cool. Just great stories front to back. Uh, and I think this year you're going to see people come roaring from the back of the field early on, um, which is a little frightening, but I think it'll also be make for a heck of a show. Frightening, but exciting. That's yeah, for sure. Exactly. exactly. Even, even Esso's excited. Yeah, I know. So in full disclosure, I'll just go ahead and share with the class. So about uh, seven minutes before my interview with Kaz earlier, we got a knock on the door and it was the maintenance man unexpected, which is when you live in an apartment, your worst fear when the maintenance man just shows up because 
that usually means something's wrong. Um, and he said, we, long story short, we have a leak and your sink is leaking. And we opened the bottom of the sink and water came out and it was, it was lovely. So, um, like I said, that was about five minutes before I got on the interview with Kaz. <laughs> and so we've been, we've been juggling the maintenance man and the dog and, and the interview work from home life all afternoon. Yeah, so that's yeah. that's hey that's the world we live in these days you know what i mean it, it is it is improvise <laughs> and you know what you're in the right sport to make that make that adjustment because nascar has done a great job hey do you realize jesse this week as of this week nascar is on schedule after this double header at dover nascar is on schedule you believe that i mean all these series these national professional sports that can't 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 get get out of their own way at times nascar Found a way to do it, and they go. They go. They'll go back to Daytona. I know we're getting ahead of myself, but that. But they're on schedule. How cool is that? I'm. I'm not even back on schedule. So I'm. <laughs> that is incredibly impressive and very cool. Yeah. But it's like you said. I mean, holy cow, we're 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 back on schedule. I mean, we are entering the playoffs. So yeah, uh, right. the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, you heard. Well, in my interview with Kaz, we talked a little bit about um, some changes being made heading into this weekend at. Dover as far as um, helping the heat because that's right. obviously been an issue the past couple weekends. So uh, again, talking adaptation and NASCAR, um, just another really cool thing that they've done this week to ensure that we can see the best and safest uh, racing environment for the drivers. And, and so people may not know they they put that right side window in. Normally you slide that window in and it latches, uh, and that was done for safety because they realized when these cars spun sideways and air got in that right side window, got inside the car, it would produce lift. And these cars would lift up in the air and then settle back down and tumble. Um, and so how do we keep air from getting in the car? You put a window there, but that means there's no flow in there. Although they put what's called a NACA duct, a specific air duct on the back part of that window uh, that could, could funnel air into the car. But some of that air coming in the car is hot air. Remember, the racetrack's 120, 130 degrees. It's coming off the racetrack and the exhausts are out there. So you're not exactly helping the driver. You're funneling hot air in on him. Uh, they said, well, okay, maybe we could put more ducts in that right side window, put a couple more ducts there to get air in. But then again, how do you get the air out? So, so they, NASCAR finally came up with a very – I mean, I, I mean, I, I applaud the fact that they made this decision in two days, that they're going to – they've given the team's metrics – and it's going to be whatever, 19 and a half centimeters, whatever it is. They're, they're taking a section of that right side window out so the air can get in and air can get out. And it's just, it's just that simple this week at Dover. So be able to get some airflow to the drivers. Um, and, you know, it's, uh, you, you're responding quickly um, and efficiently to a, a concern. I mean, there's a lot of guys racing who are in phenomenal shape. And they were all, everybody was complaining about how hot it was at Daytona. You're in August, the humidity, the heat, uh, one driver. And across all three series. Drivers yeah, exactly. across all three series had to have medical attention post-race. Exactly. So, and it, yeah. one driver even came down pit road and had to get out of the car and collapsed behind the pit wall uh, in the cup race and had to have someone get in the car and finish because he was just almost unconscious. You can't have that happen, uh, not at these speeds. So NASCAR reacts, and the result is a big opening now on the right side, uh, which they may have to fine-tune because, you know, these race teams, you give them, you give them an inch, they'll take an inch and a quarter. Uh, but <laughs> – uh, we'll see, but I'm, I'm glad they did that. Yeah, I, I agree. I love that you give him, it's like you give a mouse a cookie and he's going to yeah. ask for some milk. Yeah. No, he's just going to take the milk in NASCAR. That's how it works. Um, so heading into this double, double header weekend at the Monster Mile, um, both Xfinity and Cup Series have races on Saturday and Sunday. And as we have established 
the race to the playoffs is getting shorter and shorter and shorter. So, um, Dad, I mean, the Monster Mile is truly a monster of its own, the oldest concrete track on the circuit. What are we going to see? I mean, we've seen a lot of drivers in the field have, have different yeah. success here. So, in your, in your opinion, from watching races at Dover, what kind of racing are we going to see knowing we're so close to the start of the playoffs? Well, I think, you know, I think, you know, Dover, it, it's demanding. The good news for the drivers is that these races, because it's a doubleheader, they're shorter. They're not 400 laps. It used to be 500 mm-hmm. laps. We used to call it the 24 hours of Dover uh, back in the day. But then they shorted it to 400 laps, and now it's uh, 311 311 laps, 311 miles on the Monster Mile. Um, I think guys will have to be aggressive from the get-go. I think they're going to have to be aggressive. Um, you know, uh, we talked about Jimmy Johnson. You know, he's uh, – he, you know, we're, they, they've got these two races in Daytona back on the Oval and then the playoff start, and he's 26 points below the cut line. And so and – the, and the bad news is is that he's uh, – the guy that's 26 points above the cut line is his teammate. So – Right. Uh, but hey, when you look at Jimmy Johnson at Dover, yeah. he leads the field. He leads yeah. active drivers in wins, top five, top tens, and laps led. So if he was ever going to f- find success at a racetrack, and with the time that we're in now, with just a few races left, Dover might be the place for him. You know, Jimmy Jimmy was unbeatable there for many, many years. And, and when he and Chad Canals were together, now Chad Canals is, is wrenching the car that he's got to try to beat in terms of points. Right. Now, Jimmy's only had one top ten finish the last three times he's been to Dover. So, uh, you know, he's got he's to find a way to at least finish the top ten, if not better. Uh, he didn't have to win the race, but he needs to have a good run there to give himself in both days – give himself a chance to go to Daytona uh, and, and be able to get in the playoff. I just can't imagine in his final year that Jimmy Johnson, uh, the seven-time champion, would not be in the, in the playoffs, in the championship playoffs. So, but, you know, as you said, he's, he's got the best record overall at Dover, and uh, it's a shorter race, uh, you know, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. And remember, and by the way, Kyle Busch still hasn't won. He's one, he's got, he's yeah. won for 45, um, and that one win came – uh, at Homestead Miami Speedway last year when he won the championship. And in the time, in the last 45 races where he hasn't won but once, his teammates, including Eric Jones, his other three teammates at Joe Gibbs Racing, have 15 combined wins. So now, with that said, you know, uh, Kyle's win uh, got him a championship. They don't have championships, you know, they don't have, but he does. Sure. And so, you know, that's okay. So you may have got the races, but I won the title and I get that. And, but I know Kyle Bush would love to be able to get into victory lane. And, and I'm sure they got, they got two shots this weekend, uh, at Dover to get it done Saturday and Sunday. So dad, I'm going to ask you the question that I ask you every single week so that we have it on record. You still feel confident that Kyle Bush is going to get a win. I do. I absolutely blew. I, I just can't, you know, it's, you know, it, I, I just firmly believe that Kyle, that whole team is to the crew chief. Everybody says they're just so, they're just so good. Um, and I think that, you know, they're, they're, they're going to get there. I firmly, I don't know if it's this weekend. I don't know if it's Daytona. Um, you know, I think it's, you know, the, the, I, I would hate to have to go back to Daytona um, because so many things can happen. There's so many things that involve luck and, and uh, that are are out of the skill level uh, at that track at Daytona, and and now especially as hot as it's going to be at the end of August, you know, and, and it's such a handling facility. Uh, but uh, we'll see. You know, Kyle is just too good a driver not to to go winless. I just I just can't see that happening. I don't know, Dad. It's tough. I agree with you. He's too good of a driver to go winless. But then you just you see issues like you see last week when you think everything's running all right, and then with yeah. 
yeah. in the final stage, things just fall apart. So I don't know. I mean, personally, this weekend, I'm looking at a guy like Chase Elliott, who has a tremendous record at Dover. He's a win here back in uh, October, I believe, of 2018. And then he's only finished outside the top five twice in his eight starts at Dover. And obviously coming really? off off a successful weekend, I would think that uh, – He's going to be rocking and rolling. So, I don't know. There's a lot of options. And then you look at a guy like Kevin Harvick. We're looking at a doubleheader weekend. Well, Kevin Harvick snatched up that doubleheader weekend in Michigan and got one of two in Pocono. So, um, he seems to run well in those sprint races. I think that um, he's another one to watch. I I don't know, Dad. I think Dover's going to be an interesting one. Miles the Monster always has something fun to throw at us, though, too. So, I'm sure it'll be will be something interesting yeah. and, and you know someone i'm gonna i'm gonna throw out i you know, i i always had this philosophy that 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 good deeds go uh don't go unrewarded good when you do something really well i think it always comes back uh you know and because you don't ask for you don't ask for anything good to happen but and and this past week joey logano um mm. reached out to eric jones and you remember if you remember joey logano's career you know, when he left JGR, he went there as a young, as a hopeful young driver. Everyone said Joey Logano is, a, is an ex, best thanks to sliced bread, you know, and, and uh, he goes there and he, he just didn't feel like he, according, I'm using Joey's words now, I didn't feel like he had uh, what he really needed around him. And, and he took over a car that Tony Stewart had just vacated. And you, you're trying to come in behind a guy like Tony Stewart who's as good as it, as, as it gets in the sport. Uh, and he just didn't get the job done. And then he moved over to Penske, and he won a championship three years later. So, and so I think this week, Joey Logano reached out to Eric Jones and said, hey, been there, done that. I understand what you're going through. If you want to talk, let's talk. I'll be happy to sit down with you. And Eric Jones said, I'd love to. So they went to lunch. And Joey Logano that. shared that story. And Joey said, you know, when we started talking to Eric, I realized how much our stories are similar because growing up, how much of his career was a part of was his dad was a part of and his dad was there for him and his dad did this and did that and 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 gave him the same advice my dad gave me as I was trying to start out at such a young age but now Eric doesn't have his dad he lost his dad you know a little over a year ago and said he doesn't have what we'd I had to lean back on so why not reach out to a kid like that and you got to love that you know that's that's camaraderie that's caring I mean here's a guy that you know is so talented you're gonna have to try to beat on the racetrack but Joey said, no, I don't, uh, it's, it's time mm-hmm. that this kid needs, needs somebody like me that's been there and done that to maybe call him and say, Hey, it's going to be okay. And so uh, with that said, you know, maybe Joey Logano goes to victory lane at, at, at Dover, because that's really one of the first places I saw him. I got to see him when he was running in the, uh, the NASCAR North or K and N series when he came in there and was just uh, such a talent. Hey, you know, let me say too, I think that story is a great testament to Joey Logano's just personality and, and character. And I yeah. think uh, as someone who came up in the ranks as a younger driver and people followed his career, like you said, I, I often find that sometimes it seems like NASCAR fans um, enjoy maybe disliking him a little bit or, or love to hate him, you know, just for whatever reason. But um, I just think that is a really really great example of his maturity. I mean, he's a NASCAR champion and he acts yeah, like yeah. it. He, yeah. he he calls up a younger driver. He's a leader in the sport. And also just what a cool example of how awesome and really just unique this sport is that as competitors, they find these similarities and they can lean on each other to help them figure out how to maneuver their careers and their lives moving forward, but still, you know, duke it out on the racetrack on Sundays. So yeah, and um, I, think, I love that I think, story. I think that, and, and without, without really going into specifics, that that's fairly common across the sport of NASCAR. Uh, you look oh, at yeah. 
I mean, in the early years, Rusty Wallace did it, Dale Earnhardt, but always be sitting down with young drivers who come to his office and say, can I have a few minutes to talk to you, Dale, you know, and, and, and give advice. And, and in the recent years, I, I know Brad Kozlowski, when he started in, you know, he had Dale Earnhardt Jr. that helped him be able to get, get his foot in the door and, and Dale Sr. And I, and I think that, you know, Kevin Harvick, you know, Kyle Busch, these guys that have been champions, they, they, they become not, not only champions and spokespersons for the, for the sport, they become mentors for younger drivers. And they've Absolutely. reached out and quietly off the record have given advice and help to a lot of young drivers. So you love that. You know, if you're a young driver and you're, you can sit down with Kevin Harvick or Brad or, or Kyle Busch or Brad Kozlowski or Joey Logano, I mean, he's got, holy cow. I mean, how, how valuable is that? Uh, it's like Kaz Growler said, you know, he looked in the rearview mirror during the pace lap and realized, holy cow, that's 40, that's Jimmy Johnson. That's yeah. my hero. And he's right there. You know, I, I love that. I love the innocence and I love uh, the incredible spirit and family that the NASCAR circuit has. I absolutely agree. And it's stories like that, like Kaz told and like you told about Joey Logano that just that just remind us how you know blessed we are to be but be a part of such a loving and just such a family sport i don't know i just love it i'm, I'm so appreciative for it so i don't know big weekend at dover i say like a, such a family sport and then they're gonna go like beat the crap out of each other on the racetrack at dover this weekend because everyone's <laughs> trying to make the playoffs but hey that's what makes it exciting you know um yes, looking question. ahead yeah what's up trivia question who won the oh, first no. race at dover who won the and it was on the Monster Mile. Do you know? here? Clock I know the answer to this because I do my homework. Okay, so the answer, the answer to this is actually the seven-time champion, Richard Petty, won the first Ding. race there back in 1969. So, um, yes, I do. I do yeah. my homework. Hey, and speaking of, speaking of seven-time champions and Richard Petty, Dad, before, before I look at the weekend schedule and, and let you go, did you see these cool uh, sneak peeks at some – um, I saw that. How cool is that? Paint huh? schemes. Oh my yeah. gosh! I'm Darlington is just a few weeks away. We've we this week we got a first look at some throwback schemes. All right, let me break it down. This is what we know so far. So Jimmy Johnson is doing one of the coolest paint schemes I've ever seen in my life. It's a mashup tribute to two other seven-time champions, Dale Earnhardt Sr. and Richard Petty. So uh, if you haven't seen it, go check it out again. It's on Twitter. You can find it on Jimmy's page or NASCAR's page. Such a such a cool car, the way it's they've incorporated the, the um, blue and red and then the black paneling on the sides. I just, it's, it's really neat. But what's even cooler than that, I know it gets, it gets cooler, don't worry, is that the rest of the Hendrick cars announced that they're going to be honoring Jimmy Johnson with their paint <laughs> schemes. So Jimmy's honoring yeah. other seven times, they're honoring their seven time. And uh, I was reading about it, Dad. So each driver is going to take a different scheme from a big moment in Jimmy's career. So Chase Elliott is going to run his 2009 championship from Jimmy's fourth title. And right. then William Byron is going to run his 2013 all-star race winning scheme. And then Alex Bowman is going to run uh, the paint scheme from Jimmy's first cup title in 2006, where fun fact, the crew chief on Bowman's car, Greg Ives was an engineer on that team back in 06 when they won that championship. So uh, I just think that it's going to be such a cool week. It's always a cool week when for throwback weekend yeah, in Darlington, yeah. but Hendrick, man, they, they are just setting the bar high. 
Yeah, if you're a fan, I mean, how do you not pull for Jimmy Johnson? Because you're pulling for Jimmy Johnson and Richard Petty and Dale Earnhardt. In right. <laughs> but if you're a Jimmy Johnson fan, how do you not pull for Jimmy's championship paint scheme in 2006 or 2009 or Chase Elliott because <gasps> Bill Elliott was your guy? Or, I mean, holy cow. I mean, that's it's like, pick your Jimmy, you know? Which Jimmy do you want? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know, and, and here's another question for you. Uh, Jimmy Johnson has said at the beginning of the year, that this is it. This is his last last year in Cup because of everything that's happened. COVID tracks not being able to give him his due. Fans not being around. Does he come back next year? Does he come back and run another year? No, no, he doesn't, Dad. And that's only because Jimmy Johnson is so headstrong that this is going to be his last year. And as fans, I would kill to see Jimmy come back for another season. But I mean, he was even speaking about it months ago before we've, we've settled in and like you established, got back on schedule. Even when we weren't sure what the future of this season was going to hold, he was still headstrong about, no, I've made this decision. I'm going to walk away. It's time for me to go just be a, a full-time dad, you know, not a full-time yeah. driver. So and I, and I, um, I, I think no. You know, you know, I love that. And I, I agree with you. I think, I think the headstrong though is probably Mrs. Jimmy Johnson. I think <laughs> she's probably said, no, no, she's no, like, no, you're no. Done. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What part of you're not running full time. Now I think what'll happen though, I firmly believe Jimmy has said, I'm not, this is my last year of full-time racing, but I firmly believe we'll see Jimmy back at certain select events that he loves to race at maybe the Brickyard oh, yeah. 400 uh, and others, but that's just Jim, Jimmy's, and, and I think it wouldn't surprise me. Remember, Jimmy did the swap with the Formula One deal. He's been in the open wheel right. car. Jimmy may show up at some other places. Um, and if you've done what he's done, you know, why wouldn't you go play a little bit? Uh, but, boy, that's, that's going to some of those open wheel series is a little risky. It's a lot risky, quite honestly. So uh, I, I almost hope he runs a few races here and there just so the fans can, can give their farewells and goodbyes. And he can sure. with the fans. Hopefully the fans will be back in the stands in 2021. Uh, but I agree. I think Jimmy, Jimmy's a man of his word. Uh, he loves the fans. Uh, he's given this sport so much, seven championships and so much of his life. And now it's time to be a husband and a dad. I just think that I think that he does run a few races, but that's all. He doesn't come back full time. And selfishly as someone who, I was, you know, I'm a fan of all the drivers. Obviously, everyone's a Jimmy Johnson fan, I feel like, as a respect that I have for Jimmy Johnson. Selfishly, you'd want to see him run another season here with NASCAR. But at the same time, it's like you said, if he has this opportunity to go to go spread his wings and expand his his repertoire and his resume and have a little bit of fun while he while he slows down a little bit. Why not? You know, and I'm excited to see what he can do yeah. and really uh, see yeah. the full potential of Jimmy Johnson in the entire racing world, not just not just stock car racing. So, yeah. oh, man. OK, so my computer just crashed right in the middle of chatting. I just think from between the maintenance guy and the leak and the dog and the computer, I think God's just telling me to just stop talking for the week. And yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It might be time. So with that, I'm just going to tell you guys the weekend schedule. Um, So here's what you can look forward to watching this weekend. We got ARCA again on Friday afternoon at 2 p.m. And then uh, the trucks take over the Monster Mile at 5 p.m. on FS1. So both of those races at Dover. And then on Saturday, the Xfinity Series at 1230, the Cup Series at 4 and on Sunday, the Xfinity Series again at 1, and the Cup Series again at 4. And all of those races are on NBCSN. So, big weekend at Dover. Get comfy on the sofa. Going to be a lot of awesome racing to watch. 
Yeah, yeah, and let's hope for good weather at Dover because there are no lights, and that's a late start. Oh, Dad, at you Dover. had to say it. I know. Well, I'm not going to use the R word. Yeah, but anyway, it's uh, uh, and uh, hey, so I'm more scared of lightning these days. I'm just saying. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. She's exactly. a scary girl. Yeah. Well, the, for, the <laughs> forecast is good. Let's put that. The forecast is good. Late showers, maybe late, late, late showers on Sunday. Let's hope we can get uh, this race in on Sunday afternoon. Uh, cause you got Dover for NASCAR, you got the Indy 500 That's for the right. open wheel fans It's big, big, big weekend of racing. I'll have two TVs going side by side, watching both. Uh, can't wait, can't wait to see what's going to happen in Indianapolis and what's going to happen, uh, at Dover, Delaware for the NASCAR series. And dad, with that, did you have a wonderful, <laughs> with, <laughs> between the dog barking and the computer crashing and the, the sink flooding, did you have a wonderful episode, Doc, birthday episode? I did. I did. Thank you for making this episode <laughs> about me, episode Doc, uh, for my birthday. So, and for, and for my brother, Dennis, it's a Doc and Dennis birthday. So, um, thank you, Tweety. And I look forward to, uh, you have a great weekend as well. Um, and I love your property of Indy 500 shirts you wore today, the TV crew. Hey, thanks. Yeah, that's hey, thanks. Uh, thanks for giving it to me. I don't even know if you know that you gave it to me, but mom I, gave it I to didn't, me. So. That's okay. <laughs> it looks better on you. That's <laughs> yeah, that's great. We got they got that for ABC. Got that for all of our Indy 500 people that worked all those hard years at Indy. Uh, and uh, they yeah, this gave is it, the 50 years one. Yeah, we did right it here we, at the bottom. Exactly. Yeah. We we did it 54 years total, uh, and that was the 50th anniversary that we did for ABC. That was pretty cool. How cool. Well, thanks for the shirt, Dad. I appreciate it. I'll wear it proudly this weekend while I watch the races. So with that, I hope you have a wonderful birthday. I will spare you and our listeners, and I will not sing to you. But maybe later I'll uh, give you a call and sing to you personally. But, Dad, it's been a blast. Love you. I love you. Oh, man. (laughs) I love you. Only on my episode. (laughs) Only on your episode, but I just step all over you, Dad. I love you so much, and I'll talk to you next week. Okay, love you too. Bye-bye.